0: Abba Yahweh, the opportunity again that you present to me, you gift to me for your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom to share with anyone that would hear the words, listen to what's said, and seek your face and your word, Father God. Yahweh, Aman, Yeshua Aman, Baraklitos Aman. It's very important that we And, of course, I share this again because it's um, part of lessons and classes that I'm attending for my study. But more importantly, it said I asked God to take me deeper. I want to be deeper and walk with him. And honestly, regrettably, but I can't live in that, but I do regret that I wasn't doing this sooner. But it's according to a plan that I am not familiar with, and that's okay, because it's God's plan. His intention, whatever the intention is, maybe there's something that would glorify him more at this point. I don't know. doesn't matter. Satan wants us to get caught up in the past and regret and all these things that go on. And, well, you know, things could have been different. And what if, and what if, and what if? Well, my response to what if, what if is that my God is even if. Even if, even if, what if this happened? What if you were able to do that? Well, yeah, and what if I wasn't? So, none of that really matters. And Satan loves for us to hold on to that past. But here's the thing that we have to remember is really vitally important. And this scripture, many people have heard it and if you're not a Bible reader, you probably still heard it before. Maybe in a song, maybe you heard somebody speak it. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And then we that was in uh Isaiah forty and thirty-one, and then it's, in Isaiah forty-one ten, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And then speaking to that waiting on the Lord, I think I shared this with you the other day, that in going through my Bible study after... Mike, I had uh, given Lesson Sunday I was talking about the campfire and waiting and how we uh, wait on God. And I had gone through in my study and gone through Psalms, I think I found. 12 or 15 scriptures waiting on the Lord that don't realize. And here, just an example. Psalm 25. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed that transgress without cause. And we've seen other scripture that talks about that if they do things intentionally harmful to people, just for nothing, no purpose other than to be mean, nasty, and mischievous, there will be recompense. There will be recompense they're going to have a judgment for this. And in the reading, my reading this morning, God reminds us that he is with us all the time and that it's important for us to be, to show our dependence on him Pardon me, brother and sister, because the devil's really not wanting me to to do this. and He's really trying to attack my vocals. All sorts of things going on here. But that's okay, because I'm going to fight him. But we do everything in dependence on God. We have to remember that everything we have, everything that exists, is because of his word, His touch, by His might, everything consists. Not just exists, but consists. And the difference being that He is part and parcel of everything that is made. And this is a thing that (laughs) I find it kind of humorous, sad, but humorous at the same time. And that when the missionaries came to this country, Native American peoples the indigenous tribes that were already here were already worshiping that way. But the missionaries came. It came from the church in Europe. They came here and they decided that they were heathens and that they were worshiping the stones and the rocks and the animals and the trees, that they were worshiping them and they were making false deities but they didn't learn until too late. And I say too late because many times by direction of the church, they had destroyed natives. They had taken and beaten, either into submission or beaten to death, those that would not renounce. But what they were doing and what's later explained to them by the leaders is that they were worshiping that the great spirit had made all these things and that his spirit was in them. And it wasn't the tree they were worshiping. They were worshiping the fact that God, whom they called the great spirit, was in that thing. This was something that they had known many, many, many years before the European missionaries came with their misguided information and their misguided directions, meaning well, but misguided, and that if they didn't obey, they were going to beat them up. Well, how Christian is that? Hmm. Just a ponderance. And I come to that maybe because of my native heritage, but the thing of it is that you have to remember that everything, God is in everything. His hand is in everything. He is a part of our life, the very existence that we have. When you see these tall buildings and skyscrapers, the knowledge and the wisdom. See, wisdom is the collection of knowledge and knowing how to apply it. (laughs) Pardon me. And so you see these tall skyscrapers and these buildings and how they're put together and how they stand. And if you look with your spiritual eyesight, which we're invited to do, And told that we must do, you will see God in all things. All things. Everything. And I've shared this with you before, that song that some man or woman or men and women decided that is a Christmas carol, and it's only sung at Christmas time. Well, I paid attention to the lyrics more. It's not just a Christmas carol. It's a declaration of the sovereignty, the power and the might of the Lord God Almighty. And it calls all those faithful, all those faithful to see, hear, let heaven and nature sing. Let heaven and nature sing. The Bible tells us that they do that. And the only way that you can hear that is by leaning in with spiritual hearing. You can see the fields abloom with so many vibrant colors. And hear the birds, hear the roaring of the waves. And it talks about the mountains, repeating the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Does that not sound like an echo? If you haven't been in the mountains, it's pretty fabulous actually. You can get up there and you have to have some real mountains. Okay, rarely does it happen in hills. This is real mountains. And there's some states that call what they have mountains, but they're really just hills. But you get into real mountains and you cup your hands and you holler, just holler into the canyon and it bounces off the walls. (laughs) Pardon me. And when it gets to another facing wall, you'll hear it come back. It's repeating back to you what you just said. I've shared with you that when I go to, you know, when I have been, I haven't been in many years now, the Yosemite Valley, I love to go in the wintertime because you can see everything in the spring and it's all great, but it's really hot and very crowded. And I like going in the winter because it's very quiet and not so crowded. And when the elk come out and they move around, you can hear them trumpeting. And you can hear an echo from the mountains. And when you get bears that get up in the middle of the uh, wintertime and they get out and they wander around for a snack, which they do. So you have to be careful. There are certain bears that don't hibernate all winter long. And contrary to popular belief, that's most species. They don't hibernate all winter long. And they do get up because they're going to get a midwinter snack kind of like when a a person wakes up in the middle of night and they decide they're hungry and they go to the refrigerator bears do the same thing but it's beautiful you can I can feel God there and it's quiet and remember Elijah on the mountain Comes back to the cave where it's quiet, it doesn't have all that turmoil going on around him, and he hears the still small voice of God. Well, walking out in the winter time is very quiet. You hear the call of the elk, and once in a while you'll hear the grumblings of the bear. But I'm not fearful. I'm not afraid. Definitely not fearful, but I think it, it wells up in my, my soul. It comes up and it bubbles up. And then I look up in the mountains and I can see God moving on the mountainside. We do everything in dependence on God. Not independent of God, but in dependence of God. He provides everything that we need. Don't confuse that with what you want and what you need. I have a problem with doing that, quite honestly. I, some things that I I want to have, didn't have, and I, I get that, that unction, I get that urge. Well, I can't do that because it's not what I need. But here's the great thing that's so awesome is that oftentimes God knows that. And he will provide a what? He's a good father, a good, good father. And it's a beautiful thing. So I really want that deeper, even deeper than it is. And I have a good relationship with Abba Yahweh, except that I want it deeper still. I want it deeper still. And the illustration that I have in my mind and that I've shared with some other brothers and sisters, I want to go out in the deep water. Not quite certain what that means according to God, but I want to be in that deep water. I want to go out there. I want to jump out on the seaward side of the boat and walk with my Lord in the deep water. What that might mean, I don't know. doesn't matter because my God is with me. Pardon me. (laughs) Sorry. (coughs) goodness gracious but we have this thing that wells up in us and in the reading it's reminding us that that happens is that we we like to think that I can take care of this I don't need to bother God I, I got it I can do this we think that somehow if it's trivial enough that it's a bother to God and so we can do it on our own Well, that becomes a habit. It works into us. And then we stop talking to God, stop asking. It does, it works that way. And then you decide that "Ah, I don't have time for God today, I'm not gonna do my morning thing with God. Ah, Sunday, you know, I don't really wanna, I don't wanna get up and go to church, so. It can infect a lot of things and Satan loves to do that. He loves to do that. Remember that we depend on God for everything. The breath in my lungs when I get up and go through the course of the day, if it wasn't for God and his breath, I wouldn't get up and walk. Always keep in mind that tomorrow is not promised and that In this plane of existence, we are but a mist. And understand that with a simple breath, it can go away. God created everything by his word. By his word, everything consists. He holds everything together. Don't get caught up in pride. Remember, Jesus tells us, "I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning, and his followers that he convinced, his de- who are now demons, and Satan." cast from heaven because of pride. It allowed that to take hold. We can take hold on that and forbid its existence. Well, not so much the existence, but it's running rampant in our lives so that it becomes us and not we, as in we with God. Jesus-centered, Holy Spirit-guiding, that we. And this is why I have spoken against these, um, even individuals, they, they they, do so with a good intention, but I think really out of ignorance, without any real knowledge. These um, self-help gurus, And they claim that they're really good because they claim to be a Christian. Well, my problem that I have there is that that's contrary to the teaching in the Bible. And it's also a contradiction or an oxymoron, you might say. Oh, it is. It's an oxymoron. How can you be a Christian and pronounce self-help? It's totally Contrary to what the Bible teaches, that we are to have a Christ-centered, God-centered, Holy Spirit-guided life. How can you do that if you're relying on yourself to do these things? What a self-help guru does it initiates, continues, professes self, not dependency on God. Then talk about prayer. And then when they do pray, they do a short little gobbledygook prayer at the end of everything that they're doing. Or they might say a short one to try to uh, make certain individuals, their little niche group, comfortable. But I speak against them because they're not Christian. They are a label head, or self-proclaimed. Period. You can't teach self-help and be a Christian. You can't. It's a completely contradictory issue in a statement and a title. It's totally contrary to biblical teaching. Remember Jesus taught us When he was talking to the disciples that were with him, he said, "You are in me. I am in you. I am in the Father. So the Father is in you, and the Father loves you because I love you, and you're you're in me, with me. You are in us." He's he's explaining to them and everything about his relationship with God, our heavenly Father, and himself with us. Is because we are in them they are in us, they are part of us, they are with us, and all these things. And we have to get rid of that prideful thing that Satan loves. Satan loves to promote that. And he loves the idea that he can attempt to take that, which God desires for us, away. But only if we let him do it. Only if we allow it. And it's a subtle influence that he, he pushes into our self. And many things he does in that way. Oh, I think I can do that on my own. I, I don't need to bother God. This is so easy. I can do it on my own. I can do it myself. myself. Uh, where did that thought come from? your own. Let me remind you of something. Here, this is powerful. Reality is that your thoughts are not wholly your own. Satan is either working to infiltrate and push in his white noise to get you to think about other things than God And the Holy Spirit works on getting you to think the right things and to think about God and what you should be doing righteously. So Satan loves to throw that white noise interference in there and get you to think about what you're going to do. And then you act on it. And he does this with a very... Subtle influence. (coughs) Pardon me. (coughs) Sorry about that. But he does this with a very subtle influencing that he does with that white noise. And I've shared this with you. It doesn't matter what your intellectual prowess you may think you have your mind is the weakest point of attack and he is very good at it. This is why your helmet of salvation is very important that you remember that Jesus died for us. He came and he died for me. And you have to concentrate on that thought that the Lord God is your sovereign Lord, that Jesus died for us, came and died for you. He came and he died for me. And we need to remember that. but the weakest point of attack and Satan uses it and he is a really good tactician. And so part of what I'm sharing is when I had the individual came and said that in my sharing the strength and the power and the possibility that the enemy has that oh, that's just glorifying the devil. That's just that we shouldn't do that. And you don't do this and you, that was a subtle attack right there by Satan himself. If he can get enough people to believe, and he got this person to believe it, to believe that, oh, no, that's, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the way Satan attacks your mind. No, 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 no. That's just glorifying the devil. That's just glorifying him and giving him credit. Well, excuse me, your enemy needs to be respected and that he is very tactile. And he is very subtle in many of the times. And then at other times, he's just so arrogant and absolutely outright agitated and angry that he just puts on a full frontal. And it's not such a subtle attack. But the Lord, our God, is our buckler. Remember, I shared that with you. That's that shield that can be moved rapidly and quickly and blocks around everything from all directions. He is our strong tower. We can run to him, but so oftentimes we run away from him. God really wants us to learn that we need to depend on him in all things. And remember I shared with you John in uh, 1 John 4. John tells us to try the spirit in all things in all things. We pray for God's guidance in all things. And I'm learning more and more that God is really, he actually loves to do these little things that we think are so trivial that we don't want to bother God with this. That's a bother to the great almighty God. Well, no, it's not. Because the great almighty God is still our good, good father. And we are still his children. And he loves He delights in, as the scripture tells us, he takes great delight in his children, especially those that have auspicious, reverent fear of him. And that means that we're not frightened, but we are aware of what he is, what he is capable of, and that we have reverence for that and that we honor that that we worship him for all that he is good. He is our good, good father. Scripture tells us there are young contemporary artists out there that remind us in their songs that he's our good, good father. And remember something too, this is important that we have to remember. Is that God could, with merely a word, he could blow all our free will with his breath. He could blow our free will right away and make us robots, robotic. But remember he gave us a free will And then if he did that, it would be overwhelming his power and his might. Then we would truly be frightened. But he doesn't want to do that. And we have to remember something. And the reading this morning did that, and this is... This was the subtle attack that Satan used on Adam and Eve. And they didn't realize it then. And and God actually has given us. And I want to be careful with this because I know that there are going to be those that are going to jump right on it, get their knickers all twisted up and upset. But listen to what I'm saying. Don't just hear what I'm saying, but listen. And then go to the scripture. God... When we were made. And the scripture says it this way, let us make man in our image, in our image. And so he did. So that in itself, this is should be and give opposite from where you see all these folks, and I see a lot of them, and it's kind of saddened me. They're in God's house, shuffling your feet, shoulders hunched over, looking down at the ground. No eye connection, no interpersonal connection with anyone or limited, very little, and then they're shuffling their feet. And in my reading, and, and I'm looking at the words right now, that God gave us a special privilege, and it's a, understand, you hear what I'm saying, that it's a godlike privilege. He didn't make us gods, he made us godlike, which is a similitude, means that we look that way because he made us in his image. So for that reason, and for that reason alone, why as image bearers of the almighty Lord God and Jesus, who should be centered in our lives anyway, why do you shuffle your feet all hunched over and you veil almost in shame. It's like Nehemiah going before the king, the emperor, with a sad countenance. And he could have, depending on the mood that the the emperor was in, that he could have been put to death. But it was unlawful to go before him with a countenance other than happiness and happy, happy, joy, joy. Might not have felt that way bringing that attitude before the king was not a good thing and we know by Jesus' teaching us that everything isn't going to be a cakewalk easy peasy and no stumbling. first of all this is a fallen world we fell from that, that time when God would come in the cool of the evening and the cool of the day and walk and talk with Adam and Eve. But they fell from that grace because they fell prey to the guiles of the devil. And then, as is passed down in generations, they practiced that thing that started there. Man blame the woman, woman blame the man, then the woman blamed the devil, and blame, blame goes on something. Putting the onus on somebody else for whatever happens. It's always somebody else's fault. And failing to accept the responsibility for what we've done. I full well accept the fact that I'm responsible for what has taken place and where I'm at. The consequences of my foolish behavior and not walking with God as I should have. But I'm not living in remorse and regret to get me resentful of things that are going on. No, I cannot do that. Accepting the consequence that is there, but knowing full well that God is with me anyway, He loves me anyway, He forgave me anyway, even with all that stuff that was that was then, this is now and the difference in between is walking with God and accepting that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And I didn't fully, completely, truly do that. I spoke it, but was I practicing and believing? No. Do I now? Oh, you betcha. Even with such as it is, God loves me, provides, and is with me. And as I sit at my desk to study and share with you, I can feel him when he comes and he moves around me. And then he puts his arms around me. And then I start to leak everywhere because I can't help it. The love that he shares with me bestows on me just, it overflows. And it usually has these two little places that are, don't seem like enough of an exit point for the overflowing, but they're called tear ducts. As small as they are, sure seems like a whole lot comes out of there sometimes. And that's a good thing. I think it is. There's a lot of times that men have this total misconception About tears and crying. You have to be a very strong man. A very strong man. In order to cry. Weep. And have tears. And allow that to be shared. You have to be very strong. Don't listen to the subtle white noise. That comes from the devil. To keep you from that. So we have to be wise in the freedom that God gives us by relying on him constantly, always, that he is the center of our little mini-verse, I guess we can call it, with him centered, our reliance on him, our declaration to that. And he is with us all the time. And that we are in his word and we cling and we're part of him. Jesus describes it, John writes it down and Jesus describes it as, as he is the vine, we are the branches. And by remaining in him and studying and he is our center, that we remain a part of him. And he shared that with us, that we are the branches. And if we are staying in him, that we will be able to provide much fruit, bear much fruit, sharing the word and being in the word and being part of that with him, that he is that center And we can find that in John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remain in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, we can do nothing. The reality of it is, is that you might think that you have something accomplished and that you did it all by yourself, but that's not true. And oftentimes we find that that actually implodes. Mine hold together for a little bit. And the devil likes to get you to think that you did it. Oh, look, I did it. No, you didn't. And Paul writes in his letter to the church at Ephesus reminding us, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's in Ephesians six ten, In his might and power. And as I was sharing with you that we find in Genesis, and this is in Genesis 1 very beginning of all things. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So, brothers and sisters, we have to remember that. So, when you get that veil drooping over your face to hide who and what you really are, and for some reason you do that, you have to remember that you are an image bearer of the Holy Lord God Almighty, our Sovereign, our Heavenly Father. We are if you have accepted that Jesus Christ is His only begotten Son, and you have faith in God, and the Holy Spirit guides your steps, that you are an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven. The scripture tells us that, He gives that to us. He is truly our good, good Father. You're in my prayers and my going out, my coming in. Be blessed.